people do not realize he has a part in the messianic process, which is shocking. Yeah. But what he doesn't realize is that he has to understand what that is. He needs a spiritual guy in his cabinet. You know, you have kids to defense, you know. Then you need the secretary of Vailam uh, Habba, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know. No, he's going to make all kinds of mistakes. He doesn't understand what his purpose is. And that was a, although I heard he said that, you know, in private. He pointed out that God, but you have any idea what is, you could have made a Kiddush Hashem in front of, everybody in the planet was watching that guy. The only one was some guy in Zimbabwe, he doesn't have, you know, you know, was watching that returns, right? If he would have said, is this on? Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, what happened is an open miracle. Even I have to admit this. Okay, because it's the greatest upset in American history, and it is. But I want to tell you, the only one really who gets the credit is God. So I openly want to thank the Almighty, as whatever he would call him, right, for putting me into this incredible position with the possibility to do so much good. Then he could have said, okay, and I also want to thank, you know, all the other people. That's what he should have done. So, you know, forget about how the Bansham watches that, but he had a chance to be Makadashim Shemayim, to sanctify the name of God for billion, two billion people. What he saw would He's not stupid, but no, no. They would have said it's Yashka. No, they admit there's a God. In fact, they, they, many of them pray to God, not to him. No. Mike Savage did it on the rear. That what? He, he, he said, said over from biblical Rebrodim and Eretz Israel who were predicting his victory based on Demetrius. So Demetrius is something you, too much information, I don't have to tell you about it. But they said, right? And, that who would win? He thought he was maybe going to make fun. That who would who? Then he said his election is the hand of the Rebbe Whose election? Trump's. Aha, uh-huh. he did say that. Yeah, he's a guy who came, hated, and battled against, overcame every hurdle. He says it's without any doubt. A hand of God. It's the hand of the Rabbi Shalom. Yeah. He said it. Right? Yeah. I have the radio, I have the clip. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, unfortunately, he didn't. The reason why that is so important is because Chizkiyohu, when the army of Sancherv surrounded Jerusalem, with I think 183,000 soldiers. These guys were not stopped. These were battle-hardened soldiers. And Jerusalem was finished. There's no question about that. And in one night, and Chizkiyoh, what did he do? He went to sleep. He, that, that's the level of bitochen in the moon that these people had, you know, of, of trust and faith in God. He went to sleep. Right? Woke up the next morning, and they were all dead. There is no disease on the planet that can kill that many people in such a short amount of time. Even Ebola takes a couple of days. Whatever, you know. Obviously, it was, a nest, it was an open, revealed miracle, you know. And he should have sank Shira. So he should have, the motion wanted that the war between Sancherev, Assyria, right, and, and, uh, and uh, Jews, that should be Goyimogoy, which I talk about in one of the lectures, you know. And he should have been Mashiach, Chizkiyot. But because he did not sing Shira, he did not acknowledge the open miracle of this, it, he lost it. He can't play around with that. You know, Moshe, and who, Moshe Abenu, what the Bonshim says, what does God say? Because you did not, I mean, look at the language, since you did not sanctify me 
in, in front of everybody. You know what I'm saying? And, what, and I mentioned that. Well, what does that mean? It means you as a leader, your job, what is the job of a Jewish leader? And certainly a messianic figure is to sanctify the name of God. That, that's what it is, basically, you know? And you refused as a leader who should have known to sanctify me without going into what the chet was, right? You, therefore, cannot lead the Jews into Israel. That's me, the connected me, though. Wow. It's a, and if had he led the Jews into Israel, he would, his meshichus would have been permanent. That's what, that's what, you know? So you see what it can cost. It's unbelievable. So, okay, Trump is not Moshe Rabbeinu, obviously, not Chitzkiyo. That's obvious, you know? But still, he had an unbelievable opportunity. How does a man give that up? Astounding. He has no idea of what he gave up. He can rectify that. He should come on again, because they're all watching him. I mean, he's got, the, he's got the attention of the entire planet. He said, I wanted to, you know, you could say, hey, uh, guys, I, I committed an error. This would be a tshuva, a kapor, repentance. I forgot that the whole person who did this is God. should know that. And I rectified my error. That's a tshuva, you know. Anyway, so he failed. Um, two things. Uh, even though I'm, I want to get back into Derech Hashem, and, uh, you know. But I, I, this stuff just keeps popping in. Anyway, first thing, which was very interesting... <clears throat> Uh, there was an interview, I forgot who, I don't know who, with, and, and the, the interview was, they were talking to uh, Ivanka, his daughter, and Trump was there also. So this, this interviewer, it was a woman, said to Ivanka, well, now that Trump is president, so his business interests may falter. May falter. Well, whether it's true or not, I'm not talking about, right? So Ivanka said, well, you know, you can't compare being president of the United States uh, to, you know, building more casinos, you know, hotels, right? What else is to do? And, and golf courses. That's a specialty, you know? So Trump broke in into that. He said, let me explain what she just said. And what he said was incredible, and th which is exactly what he has to do. He says, building casinos and golf courses and hotels is nothing compared to a job of the opportunity of a president to save the world. He used that expression. And the United States. But he said to save the world. Excuse me, that's messianic talk. Save the world. He got it. So that shows that he understands himself <laughs> that he has give, been given an opportunity which is beyond belief. Because the power of that man, the presidency, the most powerful position in the world, he can save the world. Because the world is at itself, which is incredible. So he said that, which to me tells me that he understands what he has to do and his position. I'm very glad for that. You know, I, I, that was a very important idea. You know, that with, not, with, notwithstanding all the business interests and the casinos and everything, he understands that what what the Rabbanishim has given him is an opportunity that very few people in the history of mankind ever had. And that is that he is in a position that he can actually raise the entire population of the planet for uh, a much greater uh, uh, righteousness. Very few people have ever had that. And like I said last week, Obama could have done it, and he blew it. But that's Obama. Anyway, so that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing I wanted to say, um, yeah, 
obviously Israel is overjoyed. I mean, they're like, they're, 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 you know, they're, they're making kiddushes all over the place. That's when they go to shul, you know. They're making kiddush, you know, and so on and so forth. What does it really mean? I, I don't, people see this, you know. We know that ultimately the Jews will go back to Israel. I mean, the Russian promised that Klai Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael, is for the Jews. He says that last parasha. He says all the time, you know. But wait a minute. What do you mean go back to Eretz Yisrael? Right now, it's very difficult to go to Eretz Yisrael because the, the government, in many ways, is incompetent dealing with Israel, Israeli matters, you know. I mean, going to the cost of living and so on and so forth. And the, uh, the ability to get a good job in a tremendous economy. I'm not talking about for the wealthy, you know, but for the regular people. Trump is going to remove the impediments to becoming an incredible state. Hopefully he's going to remove this nonsense of the two-state solution. That's gone. And there's an enormous amount of resources that is tied up in that nonsense of two-state solution. You see, and I'm not even talking about military and all this kind of stuff, you know. If that whole thing is taken off the drawing boards, the concept of a two-state solution, right, then what happens is that Israel can now focus on building Eretz Israel, assuming they have the right government, which they don't, but assuming that, you know. But the fact that America in, is, is now removed as an obstacle to that is the preparation for all the Jews to come back. You see, that's how the Bar is going to do it. It's, uh, it's really incredible, and most people don't realize that. You know, he's going to remove all the tremendous obstacles and impediments that Bush, the son, and Obama placed on Israel. You see, he's going to take them away. And now Israel is going to hopefully, you know, by whatever, is going to now um, uh, completely change the economy of Israel, where Israel will become a place that people can move to. They can have a place to build a house or buy a house or whatever. Because Israel, if you ever go through Eretz Israel, most of Eretz Israel is empty. If you realize that, you go through Israel, it's empty. You know, it, it can accommodate easily another 10 million people. But it's not, it's desert, or it's just empty, there's no houses. Because the government refuses to give away land, and so on. It, it, it's incredible how archaic that government is, and so on, you know. But hopefully when that two-state solution is removed, then they will free up the land, and then it will make it possible... This is the beginning of the building of Eretz Israel to Makabal to receive the uh, Gauls, exile. I, I thought I, I, I should share that with you. Okay? Great. Any questions? Any statements? That's it. Okay. We now return to Judaism. I should say, or uh, the Ramchal, Derech Hashem, uh, and, um, and uh, yeah, wow, been a long vacation. So if anybody wants to, uh, I gave 13 shurim total, plus a little now, that's 20 hours of this stuff. By the way, there's a two-hour shir in Ranana, which summarizes 12 of them, or 11 of them, actually. And uh, it was just loaded, uh, or it's going to be loaded, whatever. So if you don't want to go through 20 hours, you got you can get it in basically the essence in two hours. You know. But um, just to let, uh, let uh, people know, so on, you know, that there's a two-hour abridged version of 11 Shurim, which is about 17 hours. Okay. 
What's that? Someone just asked me over Shabbos if they could get the bridge ready. Which one is that? The one I gave him right now. Eliezer. It's coming up tomorrow. About tomorrow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if they don't want to go, you know, uh, and so on. So, you know, they can they can watch that. That's all. But you should watch the 13th, because the 13th is... That, 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 he just loaded it yesterday, Thursday night. The thirteenth one, because that really, you know, uh, that sums it up, you know. Okay. Ramchal in this parak is going to talk about man, okay, which ultimately becomes Jews, and he's also going to talk about the circumstances, the surroundings, or the environment of human beings, and how this all ties into Judaism, Yiddishkeit. You know, the the uh, what he's really doing in this sefer is he's really talking about the architectural design of creation. It's really what it's about, and in many ways, what he, the Ramchal doesn't give a drasha. This isn't a sermon. This is a description of Judaism from the standpoint of the architectural design of the bria. It's literally like looking at an architect's blueprints if you want to understand a building. So instead of getting into the building and then go piecemeal, go through all the rooms, take a, you know, who knows how long to figure things out, if ever, because it's all fragmented. The Ramchal wrote a book which really describes, like I say, the basic structure, purpose, components, interactions of these components, the whole progression of man, Jews, throughout history, and the ultimate end. It's really what it's all about, the Sefer. But it's uh, it's in, in detail. Actually, it's in, it's really very general. But uh, I think what's this? Uh, you know, I've given about seventy shurim on this stuff. So it's a beautiful way to grip, to grasp the fundamental ideas and concepts of Judaism. Really very important. And all the shurim that I've given is really uh, we're only up to the fourth parak, which is amazing, and it's taken three years, something like that. But it's a great way to really. Uh, to understand um, the Ramchal and the whole, the whole uh, internal understanding and structure of Judaism. So he's going, he's going to analyze this. So he starts off. Uh, um, to describe man, which are really Jews, because they took over the whole task of man from other Mauritian, and for the two thousand years until Avram Avinu, which we're learning, we're having in the Pasha, the Jews took that over. And what's happening as a result of that, so he's going to talk about that, he's going to talk about the uh, situation, uh, man's uh, physical status and his spiritual status, the environment that man exists in, and what does a person do? Because there's a terrible quandary that people have. And just, just to say very, very simply, man or Jews, it, it's really mankind, has a difficult problem. And what is that problem? How can a physical being, right, become spiritual? This is a problem. Because the notion of spirituality is very different than physicality, very different. So the question is, how can a guy in a physical body become spiritual? And that's really what he's going to talk about, which is a fundamental difficulty that man has. Now, obviously, if the Bershom did it, he did it for a reason. Because the Bershom obviously felt that the journey of going from physical to spiritual will net you much greater gains than if you were spiritual and now you become more spiritual, which you could have done. 
you, know, you could have been a spiritual being, and now you become more spiritual, right? In other words, you start off at the tenth uh, floor, right? And then from the tenth floor, you work your way to the fifteenth floor. No, what he did, he's put you in the basement. That's what he did, which means he made you physical, in a physical universe. And not only you have to remove the physical b- obstacles, blockage, right? But you, ha- you know, but you have to become spiritual in the greatest measure. How do you do this? Which is incredible when you think about that. And that's really what he's going to address in this particular parrot. So the Ramchal says, uh, as far as a man is concerned in this world, there are two fundamental areas that you have to deal with. Okay? One, the nature of man, okay, with all his parts and the combination of all those parts, basically physical man, right? And a place that he inhabits, which is the physical universe. These are the two major areas uh, that we need to discuss now. So he says that in terms of the situation that the Bechinitz Odom Atzmoy, in terms of the man himself, Odom, you know, he says we already discussed something very fundamental. What is that? That what the Mashim did is an amazing thing. You cannot have two antagonistic entities that exist side by side in the same place and in the same time. It doesn't work. <coughs> the classic is what? If you have fire and water, Right? You have fire and water. They can't exist side by side. Right? Because water will seek to put out fire, and fire will seek to evaporate water. Can't happen, right? They are two, what's called two opposing or antagonistic entities. So that cannot exist. The same thing, you know, if you really want to about physics, there's matter and antimatter. For instance, electron is a negative, naturally in its natural state, is negative whatever the electron is. However, you do find electrons which are positive. It's called a positron. So you have an electron and a positron, right? If they touch each other, they immediately annihilate each other and they become pure energy. Itself is interesting, you know? It's the same concept. Two things cannot exist side by side. Okay? What's another great example? Nuchnius. The Russian revealed something very interesting, of which we are completely oblivious. It's interesting. The Russian said, by the way, you don't know this, but there are two different types of entities in this world. Besides physical and spiritual, you see, and so on. But there's something else. There are two spiritual entities who antagonize each other, which means one will destroy the other. What are they? There's Kedusha and Tumah. Right? There's a huge amount of halachas on two entities that we don't even know what they are. We've never seen them before. They're not visible. Say the Kotchim deals with what? Kedusha. Right? Kedusha is a certain state that an entity can be in. Tumah? Tumah... A person can be Tomei. What does that mean? That means Tumor is a spiritual entity. Okay? It's a spiritual entity, of which is unknown, that is completely antagonistic to Kedusha. <coughs> now, if the Bosch had never told us about Tumor, we would never know. I don't see any Tumor. You see Tumor? 
No, we don't see Tumah. So what the Barsham did is amazing, you know. He gave us an entire Seder, which means set of laws, huge set of laws, to tell you, well, how do you behave knowing, how do you behave within the context of this spiritual entity called Tumah? You have 126 prokam in Seder Taharas. It's the greatest Seder in Shas. You know, Kalim alone has 30 prokam. I mean, that's, it's the biggest Masechet in Shas, you know, in terms of uh, Mishnahites and so on. All about something that we've never seen. You see? And we've, we, we don't really experience what the Mashim said is, listen, you know, these are the laws that you need to know to be able to control or to diminish or annihilate this spiritual entity. Wow. It's astounding. What was that? No, no, they're not at all. But it's astounding that there's a whole set of laws people don't realize. You know, you learn the Chumash, you know, this is Tomei, Tomei who? Like, what does that mean, Tomei who? I don't see anything. Hey, I took a shower last night. Why am I Tomei? You know, because we're not dealing here with pathogens or viruses or bacteria. We're dealing with a true spiritual entity that is negative, whatever that means, okay? And you need to know how to operate that, you see? So Taurus is all about, it's, it's almost physics, except it deals with a spiritual entity called Toma, and how you can deal with it, annihilate it, remove it, etc. Now why is that so dangerous? We don't feel anything for Tomei, so what? But the problem is this, is that there's another entity called Kedusha, holiness and each one will antagonize each other you see that's why you have to know the halakhas listen if there was no base on mikdash so you tell me so what so what you know we, we're tummy today you know we can't remove the tumor of the of the mace you touch a dead body or you go into the same place as a dead body you become tummy doesn't bother us you know we function quite well with the tumor you know what i'm saying but it's because we have a base amigdosh, eh, or we have objects which are considered holy or kodosh, that is the problem. They cannot mix. You see? So there's a whole seder called kachim and a whole seder called taharas on entities which we've never experienced before. Interesting. There's a more immediate what? problem, though. Personally, it's my chal Yeah. It's leg. Timtum Alev is not the same as Tumor. But it deprives them of the ability to learn Torah, right? That's a different concept. No, that it's it's not Tumor. If you eat Machos Asurus, you're not Tomei. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you could be Tomei. I mean, Boss B'cholov. Yes? So the boss is not Tomei, and the Cholov is not Tomei. You know what I'm saying? It's the mixture of these two foods that are forbidden to consume. But there's no tumor here. You know what I'm saying? Really? It's not the same tumor you find by a dead body, you see? So that's a different concept of what is forbidden and what is not forbidden to be used and so on, you know? So one-third of Torah is about two entities that we don't even know exist if the Torah didn't tell us that it exists. You have to think of it, realize what that means and so on, you know? But in any case, so you have a lot of organisms or things that are antagonistic to each other, as I just mentioned a whole bunch of them, you know. But man has that in him. What the Bansham did is he took man, 
which really is a neshama, a soul, and he forced it to be uh, 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 enveloped by a physical substance. Those two things are antagonistic. Physics, a physical body, and the neshama is antagonistic. You see? So therefore, the soul of man is entrapped in, a, in, a, in an object which is really antagonistic to it. And believe me, the neshama wants to run away from the body. That, that, that all, it probably all day thinks, how do I get out of this without dying? You see? And the Barsham said, and there's a zero, there's a decree, you cannot leave the body because the soul and the body are destined to be with each other for eternity. The problem is, is that the condition of the body is not destined to be with the soul in that condition. You see, the body should have been, the, the physicality of this body should have been in, removed, you see. But, and that will happen by Tresa Mason when, when everybody gets up from the dead, everybody will get up with a body that has material, you see, but it has no tumma, and the whole physicality will begin to change, which I had mentioned before. So that's the first idea to understand, that we are entities that have two antagonistic components, physical and spiritual. That's really who we are. And there is nothing in creation that resembles a man. Animals are purely physical. Angels are purely spiritual. They don't have to go through this. We do. Okay? And it's not only Jews. Even Goyim doesn't make a difference. Because Goyim have spirituality. You know, they have spiritual neshama. It's not the same as a Jew. But they do have a spiritual component. And they are also stuck in this physical universe. Okay? So that's the first thing Ramchal says. Okay? That we have two antagonistic entities that are desperately trying to get away from each other. Okay, so that's the first area that we have to think about. Okay, and then the Ramchal says uh, that ultimately, obviously, we are physical, right? So all we do is think about physical things. In other words, the primary drives of man is physical. You see, so we would think, wait a minute, if you have physical and spiritual, well, why can't there be spiritual needs and urges? You see, and what are the manifestations of these things? And obviously, the, the primary uh, state of man, physical, therefore he has physical, uh, spiritual urges. Okay. And he says that obviously these are very, very strong. The interesting thing is, where is the spiritual drive? Are we going to say that man has no spiritual yearnings at all? Is that what it is? It's just physical? Why would that be? If man is both physical and spiritual, why don't we have spiritual yearnings? Right? Just like physical. What happened to that? Is it completely suspended? It's interesting. And the answer is, it really is, in many sense. The spiritual, the, the ability of the neshama to exhibit in the human body or in the human mind spiritual yearnings, okay, in many ways is incredibly diminished, but it does come out in certain ways. What is that way? There's something that man has that no other creature has, and that's ruchnius. What is that? Anybody know? What do we have? Who? Conscience. Con well, apes have consciousness. Conscience. 
a conscience. Yes. And a, 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 you mean a, what's right and wrong? Yes. This kind of stuff. Um. Maybe. Okay. I'll go with that. You know, we have a certain innate sense of what is right and wrong. Okay. Even if it's not, most people will tell you, well, maybe that comes from your parents in society. You know, they told you what they think is wrong and right, and you carry that with you. So, but they, sometimes you have, you still have, your, you still have, you know, you've heard, at least I've heard stories of people who understand something innately that's wrong, even though they've been brought up a certain way. I mean, Rivka, next week's Pasha, this coming Pasha Rivka, yes. I don't know how Rivka became Rivka. But I imagine it was that sort of thing. She felt a certain, under, she had a certain understanding of what Yeshua was doing. Yeah, so I, I would agree with you Sorry. on that. That's okay. I, I know. I, I would agree that you know. You know what that's called. You know what that's called in in uh, in, um, in the secular secular literature and so on. You know, it's called natural law. You know, where does law come from? What is law? A law is what is the required behavior. <coughs> In a given situation. That, by the way, it's the same idea as halacha. A law or a halacha is a, what is the required behavior in a given situation. That's the definition of law, by the way, right? But where does it come from? You know, you, okay, you, you can say, well, there's a lot of precedents. You know, there's Roman law and there's all this kind of stuff, right? But what's the origin of the law, really? In many ways, which is interesting, there's a thing called the natural law. Man intuitively understands what is right and wrong. Not always. But there is some type of natural ability for an individual to distinguish between what's right and wrong, independent of what society teaches him. You see? Because the idea is, well, where did they learn that in the first place? You see? Now it is true. Many laws come from social needs. In other words, society. If you and I want to live in the same place, you know, we got to respect each other's property or else it's not going to last very long. You see what I'm saying? So there are, the origin of law is based on the fact that we all want to live together as a society, you see, which is true. However, other than those laws, there is a concept called, uh, you know, uh, uh, laws that we naturally feel is wrong. For instance, murder. Somehow you feel bad if you murder somebody. In fact, the victim feels even worse. What? That's who. Yeah, interesting to think who you have in mind. But anyway, right? You know, murder. Murder means to kill somebody without any reason, justification whatsoever. You know, somehow you know you know it's wrong. Now as was that? Isn't it a logic that I don't want someone to do something to me? Then I was about to say that. Now, you could say, well, maybe, wait a minute, which I said, the fact that we want to live together socially, right? So obviously, I can't go around murdering people because then they're going to murder me. <coughs> you know what I'm saying? A society can't last if murder is okay. Even if we don't murder back, still it feels wrong. Yeah. Well, we, 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 but the thing is like this, you know? Um, yeah, fine. Okay, so in my neighborhood, I won't murder anybody. <laughs> get me back, right? But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go travel a couple thousand miles. They don't know who I am. I don't know them. They don't know me. I get a guy and shoot him, and that's the end of it, right? You feel bad. Why? There's no way that that guy is going to come back or 
that's going to somehow hamper your society. Yet we feel it's bad, you see? So there is a concept called natural law. We somehow, it's almost like, you can almost say it's genetic. There's an intuitive ability to discern, differentiate laws. And where do we get it from? Unknown. So that's one manifestation of the Nishama. So it does do so, which is very important, obviously. You know. But there's another manifestation of the Nishama, which is very interesting. You know. It comes from two sources. <clears throat> we know what the Eight Sahara is. The Eight Sahara is the evil inclination. Right? And we know it's supposed to be a malach, an angel, right? There's a malach, and somehow he can, he's connected to the human psyche, and he tells us what to do without getting into, you know, the argument he presents and all that kind of stuff. So we know the origin of the eight Sahara is, it's an angel called the Satan. But we know also it's the eight Satoiv, right? What is the eight Satoiv? You don't find the eight Satoiv addressed as a malach. You know, there's no such thing as the, well, whatever, you, whatever you want to call the guy, it is a satan, but the, what's the Yetzir What's his name? You never have concept of a Yetzir as far as I know. That's a malach. That's number one. Second question, when does the Yetzir come in? We know that Yetzir comes in when you're born, right? But the Yetzir we know, enters when you are basically bar mitzvah, or 13. Right? 13 years old. Can you tell me what changes when you're 13 that we should call this the Eitzat Toiv? It's interesting. What is the Eitzat Toiv? You see, what happens at 13 years old that we could say, Chazal tell us it comes at 13, what is this Eitzat Toiv that comes at 13? You see, and who is the Eitzat Toiv? What is the Eitzat Toiv? You see, and more important, how does the Eitzat Toiv manifest? You see, is there really something telling me to be good? Not really. You look around society. That 13-year-old guy is running around and forget about Yetzir Toiv. You know what I'm saying? It's all Yetzir Horror. You know what I'm saying? So then what does Chazal mean? Remember, Yetzir Toiv is universal. It's not just for Jews, it's for Goyim. What, what Chazal are telling... Also by 13 years old? Also, yeah. yeah. Everybody is 13 years old. That's when the Yetzir Toiv... Uh, becomes uh, manifest in, in the person, you know. So the question is, what is it? You know, um, how does it manifest itself? What, what do you see at 13? These are very important questions because we're talking about without a Yetzir you have no Bechira. You know, it's a, it's a lost cause. You're finished without a Yetzir You know what I'm saying? And if you're finished, there's no Schar, there's no reward or anything. What is the Yetzir how does it manifest itself? Why at 13? You see? What the Yetzir Toiv is a very interesting concept. It's not a malach. At all. And what <coughs> is it? The Yetzir Toiv is the Neshama itself. Think about it. I don't need a Yetzir Toiv. I am, the Neshama is the Yetzir Toiv. You see, what you need to do is have an opposing force against the Yetzir Toiv or the Neshama. 
In other words, man in and of himself is righteous because he has an neshama, you see? So what you need to dampen that is a force which is called a satan. To dampen that yetzer toiv, you see? If you didn't have the satan, we'd all be tzaddikim. What? Hold the, hold, hold the body off. Wait, wait, wait. Let's talk about the yetzer toiv. Okay? You have to understand what the yetzer toiv is. It's a very important concept. So the Eitzah Toiv really, which the Eitzah Toiv is, you know, is this innate natural feeling for what is right and wrong. Who is that? It's not a Malach. It's the Neshama. The nesh- you do not need a Eitzah Toiv. You have the Eitzah Toiv as part of your being. What you do need is an opposing force to the Eitzah Toiv called the Eitzah Hora. And the Eitzah Hora has to cloud the vision of the Eitzah Toiv. It's interesting. That's why you never find... Uh, the Eitzah Toiv as a Malach. It's the Neshama. You see. Now the question then is, what's the manifestation and why at 13 years old? What I'm trying to show you now is what is the manifestation of the Neshama? Right? Because I asked the question, if they're both here, you mean only the, only the physical body expresses itself? Whatever happened to the Neshama because we said it's bound with the body? And the answer is, the neshama is bound to the body, and the neshama is the yetzah toiv. The question is, how or what is the manifestation that the yetzah toiv gives you, the neshama, and what does it mean that appears at 13? Intelligence. What? Intelligence. Well, you know, you have, 12, you have 10-year-old kids that can run circles around adults. You, you ever see these guys? You know, you, you know, just let's say in computers or smartphones, you know? These guys, no, 10 years old, they, they can just run circles around you. You have a lot of really bright... A 10-year-old kid is a bright kid. You know, he really is. The problem is, you know, uh, that he's not trained correctly to really bring out that incredible intelligence. You know, because in many ways, the system of education is very poor. I don't want to get into that. In many ways, the system of education is terrible. Uh, but really, a 10-year-old kid is bright. So why didn't the why didn't the Eitzatoyf come at uh, if the Eitzatoyf is the intellect the intelligence right so ten year old kid is intelligent but we know it's not that we know it only comes basically at beginning of teenage years or adolescence not ten years old ten years old he's still a kid you know what I'm saying um, who but it's intelligence it's intelligence. And that's what was offered as an explanation. The truth is, it's not intelligence. <clears throat> that's not what the Eitzatoyf is. You know, uh, it's not Seichel. Seichel in sense of intelligence. Eitzatoyf is something else. Das. Das is intelligence. Knowledge, isn't it? There's a connection. A connection to, to the knowledge. What is that connection? See? Uh, let me ask you something. What's, what does maturity mean? Have you asked yourself? Who? Responsibility. <clears throat> what maturity is, is when a person... Let me, let me, let me do this, okay? <clears throat> There's something that happens to a child when he becomes an adolescent, teenager. Do you know what that is? 
what it is, is all of a sudden, that child does not want to suspend reality. You ever see kids, they play. You know, they play. You know, they play this, play house, play that, you know, and so on. So it, it's no problem to suspend reality. That's what play is. You know, and therefore there's no responsibility because I don't need to deal with reality and the responsibility is reality. But what happens when a kid turns 13? All of a sudden the kid wants to understand reality and he wants to conform to reality. There's something that changes. A kid wants to conform <coughs> or to accommodate reality, you see. Therefore, he will accept responsibility. You see, that's called maturity. It's not responsibility. There's something that happens. All of a sudden, a kid wants to find himself. You see, that's when the, a, major, a major developmental stage of adolescence is this, to seek identity. Who am I? His body is changing. You know, he started out, he was only what? Three feet, and now he's six feet. You know, he's still trying to figure out the end of his arms because it's grown another half a foot, and so on and so forth, you know. Uh, so all of a sudden, there's a tremendous need to understand who am I? It's an identity crisis. That's really what it is. Until then, it didn't make a difference. I don't care who I am. I want to play, you see. And what I have to worry about? My parents will take care of me, you see. In other words, there was a complete disinterest in many ways of reality. You see, he could suspend it. Uh, once a child hits 13 years old, something happens to the brain. It's called maturity, which means that the child now wants to accommodate, conform to reality. He wants to conform. He wants to know what it is. And that's why one of the major conflicts is identity. Who am I? What is the world really out there? What can I do and what can't I do? And so on. You know, who should I associate and who shouldn't I? Uh, there's a whole bunch of conflicts that enters a person that becomes an adolescent, you see. That's maturity. But what is it? What is it that really goes on? Because what happens at 13 is all of a sudden the child is aware of something. What is the meaning of life? What is this all about, really? I need to find out. It's not just a matter of physical needs. Well, I got to know how to make a living, you know. And, and, uh, it's much more than that. What is this all about? You see, where's the meaning, the value of life? You see, and therefore I want to know about reality so I can conform with it to find out the meaning, what is important to me, what is not important, and so on. Uh, that's the Yetzirah. That's the neshama. See, the neshama can open up a line that all of a sudden you become aware of what? Reality and the concept that reality probably has meaning. You see? That's the Yetzirah. And once you have the drive to know meaning, right? What's the next drive? I need to learn. I need to understand. I want to speak to people. You see, all of a sudden the guy becomes inquisitive because the child who's now becomes an adolescent wants to know the meaning of life. Where does the drive for meaning hit? Where does the drive in some way of purpose, what's it all about, hit? It hits adolescence because that's the Yetzir Toiv and that is the Yetzir, that's the Yetzir Toiv and that's the Neshama opening up. Ah, uh, 
That's really what it is. So it's not that the physical body, uh, the physical body itself has everything it wants to have. Uh, no. If the neshama is bound, it, all it means is that it cannot remove itself from the goof. That's true, from the body. That's true. But that doesn't mean it doesn't have uh, uh, some type of an influence over the body. Uh, uh, the influence is called the Yetzatoiv. That's what the Neshama does. It's the desire to understand reality because I want to understand meaning. All of a sudden there's a whole concept, what in the world is going on here? I don't have to make a living or, and so on, uh, but what is this all about? <clears throat> The drive for meaning is distinctly human. Animals have no drive for meaning. I don't care which animal you look at. The only thing an animal cares about is physical needs. <clears throat> and therefore they become what's called territorial. Get out of my territory because you're threatening my parnosa. You see? <clears throat> animals are territorial, all of them. And they're threatened when you enter their territory because you will deny them food or safety or whatever you'll deny them, right? Right? <clears throat> Only man searches for meaning, you see. And, and, they, and, they, and they search in all kinds of places. You know what I'm saying? But what a guy finds, uh, there's so many ways, you know, everybody's desperate to find out what in the world is going on. What is this all about? Why do I exist? Is there a purpose to my existence? You see, everybody is bothered that. However, we have the ability to suspend that drive which they do. And all of a sudden, everybody gets caught up in what's the alluring of mankind? Power. Right? Pleasure. Materialism. You see? Fame. We get caught up in the nonsense of what society says is meaning. <clears throat> Very easily. Why? Because if society says this is what's important, we want to do it because we want to be accepted and approved by society. See, that's the hook. That's the problem. We want to be accepted and approved by society. And there's a lot of payoffs for that, right? Great jobs and so on. Uh, so that's why we get hooked into their understanding of meaning, uh, you see. But meaning in terms of pure nishama is meaning. Forget about drives. You see, and therefore what meaning will do is it will force you to search. Bikush, a mavakesh. Meaning in life forces you to search. And if you don't get waylaid by society, ultimately you will find the answer. Uh, the problem is most people don't search. After a while, they stop, they're satisfied, and they stop searching. You see, because the other drives have taken over, you see. But the greatest quality in life, you know what that is? Is <coughs> bikush, searching. When a guy gets up in front of the Rabbanu Shlam, right? We're all going to face our maker, as they say, right? Uh, you know what the Rabbanu Shlam is going to say? The guy's going to say, he's got a load of kindness, got a load of claims. He's going to say, excuse me, wait a minute, wait a minute. What you want? I needed a job, you know. I wanted to get married, you know. I wanted to, you know, uh, uh, I, I needed to eat good because I have to survive. Come on, I need, a, I need at least three cars because what happens if, you know, one really breaks down? I need a second car. The guy's got a whole load of stuff. <clears throat> and not only that, what do you want? How do I know what the truth is? I got 
150 religions all screaming at me and saying we're through. Between Hinduism and Buddhism, Christianity and Islam, right? And then Zen Buddhism, there's like everybody's trying to say we're the truth. Uh, so what do you want from me? So what's the question I'm going to answer? What are you going to answer? God's pretty, you know, he's, he's, he's got a tiny, he doesn't even need a lawyer. What's the bunch of my answer? So what do you want from me? <clears throat> uh, you know, there's so many opposing conflicts of, 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 uh, of reality, so many different ideologies and religions. What do you want from me? Uh, you know what the bunch of them say? You're right. You know, maybe. Maybe you'll say you're right, you know. Because <laughs> he's going to look and say, excuse me, you know. Um, you wanted to find meaning in life, you know. You know does that mean you had to go to, uh, you know, uh, eat a three-pound steak? Is that part of the meaning in life? Whatever. But the Rabbanshim is going to say one thing. I understand you. But let me ask you one question. Did you seek me? Did you seek the MS? Did you really look for the truth? Meaning, I gave you the drive. What are you going to say? You're going to tell me, if, if you told me I had no drive, you're right. Uh, but I gave you a drive, which is against your will. You, I, it was innate. To seek meaning, right? And I guarantee you, if you would have sought it, I would have led you to the MS. Because after all, you know, is that just a puzzle where I don't you want you to solve it? I would have helped you. I would have given you the sight of the Shmaya to find the MS. But the problem is you stopped when you were 20 years old. So what do you want? And every once in a while, I gave you a little potch, a little smack in the face. You know, I, let's say I sent you to a bookstore, right? Right? And you're in this bookstore, you know, and all of a sudden you pick up a book about Judaism. That's interesting. <clears throat> What'd you do? Did you put it back in its shelf? I don't want to know about this. Or you say, wait a minute, there's a pretty old religion. It's a couple thousand years. I'm sure you can't say that people a couple thousand years are crazy. There's something in it. A tradition that lasts so many years, you know. And if you would have searched, you would have seen the beautiful logic, the clarity, and the solutions that Judaism provides. Who's going to escape that? Bad news. Because he's right. Did you search? Did you have search for the meaning of life? Because you have that drive. I gave it to you. I allowed the neshama to express itself through you in terms of meaning which you got at 13. You see? Why doesn't the search for meaning begin when a kid's born? What's going to do with meaning? Can't do anything anyway. It's an infant. It's completely dependent on its parents. How can a kid have one and desire meaning when he can't? It's a completely helpless individual. That's why the motion waits. You know, drives a kid can have, no problem, right? But meaning you can't do anything with it, so I might as well, I have to give it to you when you're 13. That's why the neshama has to wait, because you can't do anything anyway with it, you see? But once you're 13, you see? That's why a kid is chayev in mitzvahs at 13. Why? Because hopefully a kid will say, why do I have to part film for? What do I need this for? So then it'll seek the answers. What do I have to observe Shabbos for? Uh, so then the kid has the intelligence and the wherewithal to seek the answers. You see? And that's what the Bansham is going to say to all these people. You had meaning. You had a drive which you didn't even have to develop. It's there. What'd you do with it? What's the guy gonna answer? You see, he's stuck.
So in, in the end, the greatest mila or virtue of a person is the drive for meaning, you see. And that, that really has been popularized, logotherapy, by what's his name again? Uh, Victor Frankl, yeah. yeah. He understood something very important, which Freud and everybody else mistook. They looked at the drives of physical, the id, whatever that's called, part of the mind that has the drives of physical um, attachments and so on. But he understood there's something that a human has that is beyond all animals, distinctly human, and that is meaning. And he developed an entire understanding of the human psyche and also the uh, therapy associated with it. The greatest, I want to tell you something, the greatest aspect of failure that a person has is when he has no idea what he wants to do in life. So he does what everybody else does. But everybody's empty. I don't know if you realize that. There are guys who love to make money, and they're very successful at it. But in the end, it's empty. I want to tell you something, which is interesting. Trump, some I always go back to this guy. <clears throat> when Trump said, which is interesting, and I don't know if you, well, you have to, I, I could feel it in him. When he said, uh, what do you call it, casinos, hotels, golf, golf courses and so on. Yeah, but what does this have to do with saving the world? You see, that's what he said in that interview. And saving the world is an expression of Mashiach. It's a messianic concept, you know, and so on, uh, which fits exactly what I'm saying about him. But from what he said, it's amazing to think. What he really said is that, uh, you know, he said that in another statement, he said, you know, he said, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get the future world, you know, the uh, pearly gates, whatever these guys call it, you know, uh, and so on and so forth, you know. Because, you know, what, you know, the life I led, you know, you know, but, but if I become president, then I feel that's my ticket to the future world. What is he really saying? He's, he feels empty, empty. With, a guy's worth, what, seven, eight, nine billion dollars, whatever, you know. He, he lives in a, in a place which we, we don't even dream about. The power and the echoidus, the potency of this man is incredible. I mean, a guy worth that money, anything money can buy, and believe me, can buy a lot. He can do. He has his own jet. Everybody waits and dotes on the man, you know. He has the best food, the best place. I mean, he can pick himself up in the middle of any, any time, and he can go to anywhere in the world, and they all throw out the red carpet for him. I mean, his life isn't the life of a normal person. Uh, yet in the end, it was empty. And he even, he realized, I can't get Noyim Haba with this. There's no meaning in it, other than money and power and recognition and all that. You know, that, that, that told me, this man has emptiness in his life. That's what he had. Yeah, it's interesting, with all those billions, you know. Because money cannot give you meaning. They can give you a lot of stuff. They can supply incredible amount of physical desires and drives, psychological needs, but they cannot satisfy the neshama. Interesting. And in the end, even he had to admit, I cannot get into the future world, you know, how do you compare this with saving the world? He felt that this is true meaning, and that's nothing. You see? <clears throat> and, and, and in the end, that's what the Barasham did. He didn't really abandon us. He said, listen, I'm going to allow the neshama to manifest itself Right? As meaning. You know, I can't let it manifest itself as ruchnis. No, 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 good. Because you have no free will. Because then immediately you feel the spirituality, it's over with, you know. 
but I'm going to give it something that will give you a chance. It will tell you its meaning. Search. A search for the purpose of life. That there's a higher dimension than the physical life. And that is the true nature of man. And I'm going to give you that. And all these guys that have money and wealth and all this kind of stuff, in the end, they have no meaning. And in the end, <clears throat> you know, it's funny. They once, had, they once did a study where they went to terminally ill people. Terminally, you know, people were dying, you know. So he took an interview with these guys. So they said, if you, if you had your life to live over again, what would you do? Interesting question to these guys. It was a study, you know. So every, I think every person said a very interesting thing. They said, if we could live our lives again, or if I could live my life again, the guy said, you know, <clears throat> so you think a guy said, well, I would work harder. I would have gone into real estate because, uh, you know, the job I did. You know, nobody said anything about work or money or any physical pleasure. They said, you know, I would have pursued things that have more meaning. Maybe I would have spent more time with my family because that has meaning to raise kids. They did she carry on and so on, you know. What they expressed is the loss of meaning. And if they had to do it over again, they realized that they die empty, void of tachas. They all realize that, which is very interesting and so on. <clears throat> but the problem is, why does a guy have to die eternally ill to realize that? It's a lot better if you realize that when he still has the koyach, let's say, when he's 25 or 30, <clears throat> you know, and so on, you know. But it's an interesting study. But it shows you one thing. So that's why I'm telling you. The yetzatoyv is meaning. I have to find out what life is, and that hits you at 13. And all adolescents are hit by that, you see. And the Yetzatoyv isn't the Malach, it's the Neshama itself that gives you that drive, <clears throat> which is the way the Neshama uh, expresses itself, because it, it, it's, connect, it's you, and it's connected to the physical, you see. So it's not like the physical completely dominates, even though it's as primary, the primary domination is the physical. But the Neshama is very powerful. It hits you. And every individual that becomes an adolescent is hit with this concept. Who am I? What am I? What should I do with myself? Where should I go? You see? What is the true value of life? And so on. <clears throat> you can't escape it. The problem is that so many people, they look at their friends or society and say, Oh, cash, power. Recognition, that's the problem. And they become blinded by it. Not, because, not only because it's pleasurable, but because they want to be accepted and approved by society and then they'll feel good about themselves. You see? Tremendous mistake. And that really, in, in the end, is the manifestation of the neshama. So when the Ramchal says that the primary drive <clears throat> is what? The primary drive, of course, is physical. But the Rabbanu gave us the neshama and he allowed it to manifest itself. And that's the Yetzitoiv. It's interesting. And that's why you see it. it. It's true. It hits you at 13. You know, that's when it hits. Because then you can do something about it. What, what's a one-year-old kid going to do with meaning? You know? The only meaning in its life is being toilet trained. That's not very meaningful. It is. It is. <laughs> to a one-year-old and to the mother and father, it is very meaningful. Yeah. Uh, you see? But now you understand the logic of all this. It's a beautiful understanding explanation, <coughs> you see. So anyway, so that's what the Ramchal said 
where he's trying to define the whole concept of physicality. But we should never forget the concept of Yetzir Toiv and what the Neshama's true revelation is. So it's a very important idea. Wow. Any, any, any uh, questions? You now know something that most people do not know, what the Yetzir Toiv really is and what part it plays in the whole, the whole journey of man you know, to better himself. And that, that's the Rabbanishim's taina. Were you a mavakish? You know, did you seek me? Why should I seek you? Because I gave you a drive of meaning. That will make you seek the truth. And the truth, I guarantee you, will be me. Which is a, another discussion. So, Why it always ends up in God. Yeah. So just to understand, the, <clears throat> the, the, Yitzha, the definition of the Torah, Tov, is basically the, the um, even though Akash Constricts the Yitzhahara and does not allow any Yitzhah Tov. yeah. The Neshama does yeah. not allow it to express itself fully. Really, yeah. There's one thread that he allows. That, that, that's the definition of Yitzhah Tov. Correct, exactly. The search for meaning, importance, and value of life. Purpose. What? Everybody wants to know purpose. Everybody. I don't care who you are. Animals don't have that. That is distinctly human because it's Neshama. Animals have no Neshama. Why is that in that's part of the physical urge. Without Taivas Nashim, who would get married? Right? Who would reproduce? There's nothing deeper than that? <clears throat> who? There's a sociological <clears throat> reason, nothing deeper than that? Then reproduction? Then the reason why Taivas Nashim comes along with the Nashim. Yeah, there are, there are other ideas. Sure, Taivas Nashim is really a Taiva toward your mate, your other half of the spheres. Oh, yeah, there are, there are you know, that, that's, you know, that's the origin of Taivas Nashim. Because the woman you marry is really a Chalik of your Nashim. You're only half. She's the other half. You see? No, there's a tremendous ruchnis in that. And the Bansham wants both. He wants the Zohar and the Nekeva to be together. And the riot for that is originally man was, the other was man and woman at the same time. His front face was man and the back of his head was woman. The Keva, the Chazal say that. That's the ultimate. The ultimate is that it is really one entity. But the Bansham split the entities as independent physical bodies, uh, you see. But really it's one entity, and, that's it, and, and that in the end is really what, what's supposed to be. So the drive is to reunite with your nishama, you know, and that itself is a whole, uh, you know, and so on. But, I mean, but the purpose of that, you know, is reproduction. And without that, nothing goes on. How would you anyway. classify the difference between the, the, in terms of the evil, the drives to evil, how would you classify the, 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 the drives that the body produces and those that the Yitzhahara incites? I mean, the self Obviously, there's two forces working yes. for, for evil. What, what's your question exactly? How would, what, how would you classify and generalize the difference between the evil, the evil urges that you get from the body and the evil urges that you get from the satan? Because both of those work together to form the Yitzhahara. The evil urges you get from the body, from the body and, and, and the, the evil urges you get from the satan. The evil urges are the satan's urges. So the body, so the satan gives you bodily needs? Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's why Chazal say in the Yuma that when he destroyed, Chazal recognized that Avodizor destroyed Klai Yisrael. So the Gemara says in Yoma that the Chachomen got together, which is amazing, they wiped out the Yitzhahara of Avodizor. You realize what that means? They altered the genetic structure. We have to have to see what that means, you know. Then what they wanted to do is they said, "What's next? We're on a roll. Who? We're on, We're on a roll. roll, right? What's next? 
Chayva. So they got rid of Avodah Zarah, right? That's why we have no type of Avodah Zarah. In fact, we can't understand what in the world was in the mind of those guys. We don't have type of Avodah Zarah. Although, what? For everybody. But the, you have to understand what the type of Avodah Zarah is. I don't know if you, you know what it is? What is the type of Avodah Zarah? Was the guy crazy? He puts a statue in front of him, he goes like that, right? What's he out of his mind? It's a piece of rock or whatever. It's a representation of the Kokos Yeah, but what does he want to, what's he bowing toward? Interesting. The type of Avodah is incredible Ruchnias, except it's distorted. It's really what it is. Because, I remember I told you, so the Neshama has a manifestation of what? Of meaning, right? But it's interesting. Man has a type of Ruchnias. He has a taiva. Somehow he feels within him the concept of a spiritual domain. And he wants to get back to that. The problem is, instead of God, he goes to everything else. You see? So then you have the mistakes that man made. You know, and all of a sudden that... That's why Nebuah was became both of the same. Exactly. 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 Yeah. Uh, why? Man, you don't realize that Nishoma was able to give out many things <coughs> that it has. One of them, which we, this year I developed, was meaning. But the previous, because we don't have that anymore, uh, uh, people were intoxicated with Ruchnias. You, ever go to, you never went to Egypt. I mean, you, 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 if you traveled a little, right? You go to Egypt, you go to some of these places, especially in uh, India. You, know, you have any idea, you know? Do you have any idea how many mosques there is that? Do you have any idea how many temples there are in India? Or in, in, in even in Mexico, Yucatan, you know, how many pyramids there were? And in, in Egypt, I mean, I went to Egypt twice, you know. You can't believe the Ruchnis in Egypt. But it's all about the Zara. Like, what were these guys thinking? Because people have a taiva for Ruchnis. It's amazing when you think about that. The problem is, you got a taiva for Ruchnis, you know, <clears throat> So you'll do it in the wrong way, Avodah So what the Chazal did is they removed the Taiva for Ruchnius. And that was one of the manifestations of the Neshama, of the soul, which is amazing. Once they removed Avodah I mean, what they did is they removed the whole desire for God in a certain sense, you see. So what they did, so therefore Nevu also ceased. Because if you're, you're not interested in this, you're not interested in that. So the, the, what? That's irrelevant. I'm not talking about where it came out. Let's stick to this. Always stick to the concept. I don't care where it came out. The concept is that man has a desire for spirituality. Yeah, he does. The <coughs> problem with that, it can go either way. And since it was, it, it was so uh, re- responsible for the destruction of Christ, I mean, that's what killed him. That was you know? So they said, we don't, we don't want it or it's cha. It's not worth it. The gamble is too high. So we're in Taiva. So they took care of that next, right? They took care of that next. What does the Chazagamon say? Chickens didn't, Chicken didn't lay eggs. I mean, lay eggs is reproduction, right? Chickens, you know? They probably didn't want to say man wasn't interested in women anymore, or vice versa, you know, I would have been to grub. But what they did say is nobody was, chicken was laying eggs. It means nobody was having relations at all. Excuse me, you know? But the question, excuse, what are we talking about? If you kill the eight Sahara, what's that dude laying eggs? Right? Because chickens have desire to lay eggs. Right? Chickens have a desire for reproduction. 
Everybody has a defect. <coughs> yeah, but what does that have to do with kill, uh, blinding? They, so they blinded the Yetzirah. They, 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 because you don't realize the Yetzirah is the physical urges of man. That's it. That, that's his domain. All these physical urges, you know, and so on, really comes from the Yetzirah. That's why when they killed the Yetzirah, well, they wanted to get the Yetzirah with the Taiva, Nobody was interested in reproduction. You can't do that, or that, that's the end of the world, right? So what they did is they blinded him. They blinded the Yetzirah instead of killing it. So what that did is it removed the taiva toward immediate family. So you don't have a taiva for the mother, or whatever. Although the mother, no, but the sister, yes. It's a tremendous amount of incest going on. Okay, but without getting into that, you know, but at least the parents, you know, and so, and so on, but we see, therefore, that the drives of man is the Yetzirah. But that doesn't make it evil. That's the mistake you make. The mere fact that you have a drive for physicality isn't what makes it evil. If you need to become spiritual, what's the best thing God can give you? Is a drive for spirituality, isn't it? If that's what He wants, the best thing He can give you is Ruchnius. He can give you a drive for spirituality. That's fabulous. You're playing with fire. Oh, but you're playing with fire. In other words, is it worth? Is it cost-effective, as they say? You know, if you do it, if you overcome it, you become you and you, and you gravitate toward the right being, God. Right? It's awesome. You got the wrong being, it's bad news, and so on. So, well, that's the old story. You know, it's like if you want to bet, you know, should you put how much money do you want to put on the you know, and so on? You know, that's why. So the greatest manifestation of the neshama is ruchnius, and people had it. The problem is that, whatever, everybody was failing. So Chazal realized that it's not worth it. No, so I don't know what you mean, but the, what do you mean? When? Than before? Why, why were they bigger now? Sure, yeah. Now. Again, you know, like they, they say there were 600,000 Nevi'im. If you go to Tzfas, they say over 600,000, the Chazal say, there were 600,000 prophets in Israel. It's astounding. Why? Because he had a Yitzhahara for, for Ruchnis. That was, the, which is incredible. Unfortunately, you know, you had some guys like Yerov ben Avot. was that? The Yitzhahara is the Neshama. The question is, how much can the Neshama reveal? That's what I'm trying to point out, that it's not just the Yetzirah, the physical body. So before they destroyed the Yetzirah, of, of, that man was given the Yetzirah of Ruchnius, not just meaning. Now we have meaning. Then they had a drive to spirituality. It's like, what's a Ravashi? So he was talking about Menashe. You know, it's a famous Gemara, you know? He's talking about Menashe, and, and, and Ravashi, the great Ravashi, was saying, you know, Menashe, how do these guys do this kind of stuff? So Menashe came, Menashe, the one who destroyed Kleinsworth, came to him in a dream. He says, excuse me, if you were living in my generation, you would have picked up, because they used to wear long garbs, you know, long, you know, you would have picked up the hem of your garment and run after the Avodah He's a Ravashi. Uh, what? What's Menashe talking about? And the answer is because that was the manifestation of the of the Yitzhak You know, there was an incredible drive to be spiritual. The problem was you can worship idols instead of worshiping God. That's what he meant and so on. 
We, we, we don't understand the Yetzirah of, because we're not, we don't have a drive to be Ruchnius. We just have a drive to find meaning, severely reduced, you see, but it's still incredibly powerful. That's you why, see, that's why people still find meaning in all sorts of different things. So that's <coughs> multiply that by a thousandfold, and that was that turned into basically what we find about people going to find meaning in India and all these different places manifested then as a, as we, as as um, a Yeah, I once read something very interesting. Are you familiar with Tibet? Guys into Tibet? <laughs> Who? You're not into Tibet, yeah? Okay. Tibet, before 1940, before they uncovered the, you know, so the, you can't believe the spirituality of Tibet. It was incredible. Tibet is, is, is what it's called, is, um, is Tibetan Buddhism. It's Buddhism. But it's a certain Monks. form of Buddhism. What? Monks. Yeah, well, yeah. Do you know that Tibet, how big is the whole Tibet anyway? You know, it's not a very large place, right? I once read Tibet had 5,000 monasteries. Right? How, many, how big is Tibet? You know, is it, is it as big as New Jersey? <laughs> what? Yeah. The question is, what? Why would that 5,000 monasteries in Tibet? Because <clears throat> Tibet is an unusual place. Obviously, the air of the Himalayas. You know, the purity of the, the air of the Himalayas, you know? Because they were incredibly intoxicated by Ruchnias. You know, and these guys were into meditation, a lot of stuff and so on, you know? You know? It just shows you, you know? They, because they have an incredible drive for, for spirituality. Okay, forget about what they think the spirituality is. But whatever it is, it's out of the body. It's not physical. It's beyond physical. Okay, they have a strange form of what uh, spirituality. But whatever it is, it's not physical. It's spiritual, you know? So if you had 5,000 monasteries, you know how many guys were registered with those 5,000 monasteries? And it was all over the Zara. You, you see, I'm just trying to illustrate, which is interesting, because you, you, that was, you think that, where did this come from? It was gone after Chazal knocked out the eight Zahara for, you know? Why did they retain their <clears throat> to avoid the Zara? That, okay, the, interesting questions. Like, what happened? You know, maybe, I think maybe just they, they were in the Himalayan air. You know, you ever go into a mountain? You become more spiritual. What? No, no, not, not lightheaded. Not lightheaded. When you climb a mountain, there's something about a mountain that makes you more spiritual. I don't know if you realize that. Think about it. When's the last time you climbed a mountain? Not only. Uh, you know, but when you're on a mountain, in some way you are in contact with, I hate to call it, but nature. There's something profoundly pure about being on a mountain. Then you're away from the earth, you know, all the tithe and all that. And you're into this tremendous pure air. You're on the mountain. And not only that, you connect with nature. There's something spiritual about going back to your roots, the ground and all that kind of stuff, you know. So I, I suspect it's where they lived. It's where they lived. <laughs> anyway. Where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. So what I wanted to say was that the physical, so that's what the concept of the uh, the HR the is. The HR is physical, you know? But the HR has something else. So the question is, so why is it so bad? You know what I'm saying? Because you have to understand what the HR really wants. Agenda. Who? There's an agenda. He has a, yes, a real serious agenda. Yes. 
Uh, but I don't want to get into it because it's going to take me too far, so I'll talk about it next week. You have to understand what the agenda of the Yitzhahara is. <clears throat> it's not to give you a physical drive. It's something beyond that. Okay? And this is his real matara, what he wants to do. And he uses the physical drives and urges and needs in order to achieve that, which he does. And we'll we talk about it next week. I don't want to go on and on and on and so and so. Just give us the punchline. <clears throat> the punchline? You want to get punched? What? Punchline. What? I'll give you a punchline, but cryptically. Okay. We'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, the punchline isn't to experience pleasure. It's what's the outcome of your thinking when you experience the pleasure. It's cryptic. I told you it's encrypted. <clears throat> what do you when you're experiencing pleasure in any 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 of these forms, what are you thinking about? That's what he wants. You see. And he uses that, because without the drives, you wouldn't even come to the thought. But it is the drives that lead you to the thought, and that is what the Yitzhar is all about. And I will tell you next week. The essential idea, what is the essential strategy of the satanic drive? Not physicality, that's natural. You gotta eat, you gotta eat. There's no Issa. I mean, you wanna eat the right thing, but there's no, there's no eating isn't forbidden, e- eating isn't terrible. It's, it's what God did. Yeah, He wants you to eat, you know? Fine. So, so that can't be evil in itself. But what the Sutton does is he wants you to think about a certain thought while you're eating. So the question Got it? That's cryptic, but we'll talk about it next week. It's a very important shear, which is all part... You know, it's funny. I only covered like four lines. There is so much, it sounds funny. There is so much stuff in the Ramchal if you really learn it the right way. You, you know? Uh, but um, it's a very important concept and so on. But now you understand... Some incredible ideas. Who the eight Satoiv is, what his manifestation of the body is, what was his manifestation, you, you see? And therefore, what is the dintel really all about, ultimately? And so on, you know? And, and, and we'll see why, why a person gets waylaid, what stops him, and so on and so forth, you know? Which I talked about also. The whole concept of societal needs, and individual needs, and all this kind of stuff, and so on. Uh, but in the end, we all have the desire for meaning, every one of us. And I will end even Trump. <laughs> you know, we must have been friends in a different Gilgal. I don't know what the story is. I don't know why in the world I'm talking about this guy so much. Uh, you know, but even Trump, I, you see, has emptiness. And he, he understood that he's not going to get into his Oilam Habo, right? With all the casinos he bought built and the hotels and the golf courses and all that you know that's number one and when he said to, to save the world these things are meaningless to save the world and, and so he, that is the greatest meaning we even understand that see so next week we'll talk about we'll go further into you know really what the what the what the matzav is what the situation of a man is you know what happens to the okay teenage years with the bitters then we become adults from 20 to 60, we won't think about it. But anyway, when who? Teenage years, a year of Bikush. 
Yeah. Adolescence, yeah. 20 to 60, you don't think much about all that. Then at 60 years old, you think, you think again, it's again Bikush. What happened to that middle period? What happened to the middle period? Yeah. You're, you're making money. <laughs> because, well, in a certain sense, yes. Uh, you, know, you know, look, all it is is meaning. How do we find the answer? So a lot depends on where you live, who your models are. Yeah. You know, if you live in America, or you live in a society which is, uh, even Israel today, I mean, whatever, any country is, uh, is tremendously, uh, you know, engrossed in physicality. So after a while, you get pulled by your need to be approved and accepted by society. You want to make it. That fools you, you see. So the only way to combat that, really, with the drive, is you need to associate with Chachomim. You need to associate with people who have the truth. Or else you're going to get pulled. You know, the, and so on. You need models, teachers, instructors. And that, that's why. Why do you think Chazal say, Kenele Chachova, you know, uh, always sit at the feet of Chachomim. Why? So you can wash their legs? You know? No. Because these people will instruct you what the meaning is. You see? If you don't have that, how are you going to know? Really? You see? You get, you get so bogged down by what's outside, you never... So you, the only way to know, really... Why do you think Torah is tavlin to the Yetzirah? Why? Because Torah is the manual. What do you think? I thought it has more things going on with obviously just the manual, but Torah is the answers for the your search for meaning. That's what it means that, you know, Brasi Yetzirah, Brasi Torah, Tavlin. What is Tavlin? You know, so there are other ideas because there's Ruchnis and Torah and so on. But the simple meaning is that Torah is the answer to your search. You're not going to study the Torah, you don't have the Tavlin. You just have the search for meaning, which is going to get waylaid, you know, completely distorted by the world. You see? So, in the end, you have to associate with people that have the MS. If not, you're risking it. You're risking by getting tied and so on. And listen, that's what it's all about. That why do you think people don't want to leave a climate of terror? You know? Because if you go the other side, they will win. They have powerful stuff. They got powerful drugs. It's called power, pleasure, materialism. It's powerful stuff because we all want to have that. We have physical needs for that, you see. That's why, why it's so important to, uh, to, uh, to live in the right environment, you know. That's why. Because you, even if you have a drive for meaning, somebody's got to tell you what the meaning is. You need the answers. Tell is the answer to that. But it's complicated, you see. All fits. All makes sense in the end. Once you understand what the spiritual manifestation of the neshama, how it's squeezing through all the satanic influences, how the Torah has to squeeze through. But it's powerful stuff, you should know. So as, as, the Yetzirah is anti-meaning, anti-reality? Meaning, uh, no. realistic? He's looking for, he finds, when he gets the Yetzirah, he realizes... I want to tell you something strange, which uh, I'll do next week. The Yetzirah does not want to fight with meaning. He wants you to have meaning. The Yetzirah wants you to have meaning. So then what does he do? He gives you the wrong meaning. He doesn't fight the meaning. The Yetzirah cannot battle the Neshama. 
But what he can do is send you off on the wrong road. That road of meaning is there. But what he's going to try to do is get you on the other road of meaning. Correct. No, because it's not necessary. What's he going to do with it? Is that Yitzhahara anti-reality? Well, I don't try anti-reality. No, 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 no. No, no, no. A child can't suspend reality because it has no meaning. I don't need, child doesn't have a feel for meaning. So, you know, hey, I want to play today, you know, I want to play a game today, and tomorrow I'll try to take it. It's wishy-washy. Yitzhahara is not trying to suspend reality. No, he can't suspend the drive. You can't fight in the Shema. Uh, you know the old stories, like have it be a reed. Remember the old thing, you know, the old uh, Chazal? Don't be as a reed that's rigid. Bend. So Yetzir said, hey, hey, no, no, I'm not going to fight your reed of meaning. But what I'm going to do is, I'm going to say, hey, that's not the road to meaning. This is. Got it? You can't fight in the Shema. But it wins because it's able to convince you of another path to meaning. That's the problem. What is that path? What is the agenda? Next week. So we're back in Derech Hashem.